Ashley Brock reading Diane Palmer's book, Lawless, Chapter 11. Took a minute for the statement to sink in her breast side out roughly. That's the truck old Hop saw near my cup fence. She was calling on. I just told you the truck has been the missing link. We knew it had a connection, but we couldn't find it. Apparently, it doesn't belong to Clark at all. It belongs to a buddy of his on the ranch he's working out outside Victoria. A name go called Gold. Can you arrest him? Can judge you ask? He goes, it's not that simple. We can't arrest him without proof. The truck is the only we lead we have right now. I heard Hobbs say what sort of truck it was. She fired back. Yes, was the, that's only hearsay. It's not enough evidence to arrest a man on suspicion of murder. We have to go slowly and see if we can find enough evidence to get a search warrant, he told her. If he suspects a thing, he may take off like a bird, even with his brother in jail. She frowned and rubbed her arm with a restless hand. Well, one Clark's off the streets for the foreseeable future, isn't he? Janie swore out a warrant for aggravated assault, he said. Harley Fowler and Leo Hart swore out assault charges as well. I got him on resisting arrest and assaulting on a police officer. But if his brother can get a good lawyer and he can make bond, well, it's a risk. For anyone who saw that track or knew about it, she guessed, don't look like that, Cassie knows really. I'll never let anything happen to you. Her eyes met it since she noticed for the first time the emotion in him that he couldn't quite hide. It's the police again, Tippy Moore drawled from nearby, tossing her long red gold hair from the benefit. Then he made a view, she smiled sarcastically. You almost live here, don't you? Have you come to arrest somebody or can't Miss Gaines manage a day without you and it? She added nastily. Cash dark eyes slid past Chrissy to the beautiful woman to join them. I'm gathering information for a homicide investigation. Unless you think you can solve the case, you're so fruitless. He said courtly, tipping perfect eyebrows harsh. Who got killed? She glanced at Chrissy, deliberate lifting her left hand so that she the light caught the diamonds as wrong way. Someone Miss Gaines knows. Certainly nobody you know, he replied fat. I'm pressed for time. Heavens, you don't think I'm trying to detain you? She scoped, her eyes giving once over. It was just sort of an insult. I told her to tell you not my type. <laughs> Dark eyes narrowed on her face. Chrissy thought she'd never seen eyes that cold. A compliment, surely. He replied softly, even smiled. My taste doesn't run to your sort of woman, Miss Moore. I don't have to pay a woman to go out with me. Tippy Moore's face burned red. She laid her. I'm no cult girl, she managed to get out. But if I were bustier, there wouldn't be enough money in the world to get you in my pet. You've got that right, he said icily. Small hands glitched at his side, her sides. Her hair seemed to grow. I've turned down motion picture stars and millionaires and even princes. What makes you think I'd look twice at a hit cop like you? I've already got everything. Cogden Ibrow gave her a look that would have eaten through rust. What you've got, lady, is a pretty face and a passable figure. In five or six years, you won't find a fashion magazine that will even want to figure feature you in the advertisements. Then what will you do when men who panted over you can't find enough excuses to get away from you? Obviously, she considered that herself because she went pale. You have no apparent education, no manners, no culture, no concentration for other people. You think a pretty face makes up for the lack of those attributes? <laughs> yes. Why don't you take a good look in the mirror? You're a lot less attractive to men than you think you are. And I've got your number, even if Judd Dun Dun, <laughs> Judd Dun hasn't yet. <laughs> 
He gave me a ring. She said the routine. He's crazy about me. He's crazy, all right. You'll, bank you'll bankrupt him in two weeks and leave him bleeding on your way to a fatter wallet. You wouldn't even look back to see if he died. You know, nothing about me. She joked, I know trash when I see it. He countered with cold eyes. Her lower lip trembled. She looked devastated. She couldn't even manage a parting shot. She turned and walked shakingly back to the set where the director was waiting. Her back hair was straight. But when she got to Joe Harper, she collapsed in his arms and cried like a child. Casually, theoretic, theoretic, she said harshly. That woman is prime manipulator. Judge out of his mind if he thinks she cares about him. I know, she said sadly, but she felt oddly sorry for Tippy. She'd never seen the the poor, sophisticated woman in such a state. She'd been upset before when Cash was rude to her, but this time she was genuinely devastated. Cash really did seem to hate her. Chrissy wondered why his opinion was so disturbing to Tippy, but she seemed to dislike him just as much. I've got to get back to the office, Cash told her Watch your back. I've made sure Nick knows to help. Don't think Clark's less dangerous in jail. I've seen men in worse trouble make bond. She said, I'll keep my pistol handy. You be careful, too, she said with general concern. <laughs> I'll survive worse than the Clark boys, he said in smile. See you later. Sure. He walked off without another glance at Tippy's direction, but even with the competition the other woman gave her to for Judd's attention, she couldn't help but feel bad for her. Cash had been brutal, and obviously his opinion mattered to the beautiful supermodel. Those tears had been real, even if Cash didn't think so. While the crew took a break to give Tippy time for the makeup artist to repair the damaged tears had done to her face, Chrissy waited outside the trailer until the older woman emerged. What do you want to gloat? Tippy asked bitterly. Amato broke up his parents' marriage, Chrissy told her quietly. That doesn't excuse the way he is, but it helps explain it. He was in grammar school, and he loved his mother. She started to walk away, but a soft hand touched her shoulder lightly, just distinguishedly enough to stop her. I've been a bitch to you, the model said solemnly. Why should you care if he cuts me up? In fact, what would you know about the real world with your sheltered background? She added bitterly. Chrissy met the beautiful green eyes. Do you think I live in some fairy tale world of happy endings and perfect harmony? My father got drunk and almost killed me. My mother died. Judd and Maudie are all I have in the world. She turned away. This time she didn't stop. She probably shouldn't have told Tippy that, but what Cash said was cruel. He never apologized with his history. Funny, she pondered that she cared about seeing the model in tears. She'd done nothing but give Chrissy hell and taking Judd away to boot. But Judd cared about the dreadful woman. There was no way Chrissy would ever be able to hurt someone Judd loved. Behind her, the old woman stood frozen, rigid, hating the compassion in the soft voice of the understanding behind it. She thought the little Christina Belgains had the perfect childhood. Shocked to learn the truth, and it made her feel guilty. She looked at the expensive ring on her finger and measured it against Christina Bell's ragged jeans and worn old boots. She went backward toward the seat with her pride around her ankles. She never thought of herself as a cruel woman before. It was just that Judd made her feel safe, and he was overly protective of his little ranch partner, Miss Gaines. She couldn't give him up. She couldn't. He was all that stood between her and men who were dangerous to her. Men like Gary Mayers. Mays, the assistant director, and most of all, Cash Grier. Despite Christie's compassion, they were rivals for the same man, and it was true that all was fair in love and war. The last two weeks before Christmas were hectic. Christie was having final exams at school and juggling studying and ranch chores that seemed to be endless. The chaotic disarray of the film people crowding round her made her life difficult, and she grew more and more impatient. Monty kept out of the way, and Judd never came near the ranch unless it was to take Tippy back 
to town to her hotel. He was polite to Chrissy, but the odd easy affection between them seemed to be gone forever. It didn't occur to her that cash was usually somewhere around whenever Joe came to the ranch and that Judd noticed. She and Nick in the part-timers rode fence line, doctoring pregnant cows, patched leaking roofs, pitched hay, hauled water, and did the thousand and other daily chores that kept the ranch up and running. On one free day, she went all the way to Victoria shopping for a particular sort of sterling silver tie sack that Judd had mentioned he'd seen and wanted. Took half the day to locate it in a small jewelry store. She bought it and home, brought it home triumphantly and wrapped it up. When she and Maudie put up their annual Christmas tree in the living room, she tucked it in among the branches where it wouldn't be too obvious. She got cash and Uden. Nice new wallet, having noticed how frayed his old one was. Cast visits had multiplied since Clark's arrest. Chrissy noted that Tippy Moore didn't snipe at him anymore. She was oddly subdued when he was around. She kept out of his way and ignored her completely. There's fire in that smoke, Maudie commented one afternoon just after Cash had driven away. What smoke? Chrissy mumbled. Her head stuck in her textbook. That model and cash garage plan. Right now it's smoldering while they avoid each other. But put them together and it's explosions all the way. They hate each other, Chrissy says to Maybe, maybe not. Shark red watching Chrissy while she drives, please. You and Judd both going to Japan? Not till next year sometime. We haven't even decided on a date. But it's the best news we've had in a while. She turned to page. Judge and I have already decided that we'll use some of the film money to replace that salary's bull. But some of our heifers have already been bred too. Him. To that heifer bull we lost too. When we knew how many pregnant heifers we had, Nick called a man he knew who does artificial insemination, and we bought seed from a champion sowler's bull. We had the remaining heifers serviced, so now we've got a champion calf crop to look forward to in the spring. That's what the Japanese are interested in. No additives, no unnecessary antibiotics, grass-fed with only a minor mix of vitamins and supplements, none from animal parts, and pesticide-free. As I recall, Monogran, Judd had to be talked into the organic approach. He knew I'd done my homework when I suggested it. Now he's glad with this overseas deal cooking. Monty's mother won't. Child, you are a natural-born cattlewoman. Christy grinned Just like my great-aunt Sarah, she reminded the old woman, who ran her own ranch long before it became popular for a woman to do it. Judd's proud of you, she murmured, averting her eyes to sink. He doesn't want you to give up school no matter how hard finances get here. I'll do what I want. What I have to, she replied. Listen, you keep that back door locked when it's just us here, she added. One of the Clarks is in jail, but the other one isn't. I haven't forgotten. We can't afford to let our guard down for a minute, she added. I even carried that pistol in the truck under my seat, she sighed wearily. It was a sad day for East Texas when the Clark brothers moved here. Maybe they won't be around too much longer, Monty said. Those words turned out to be prophetic. Four days after the cast and crew had gone home for the Christmas holidays, John Clark found himself jobless and with no way to afford a lawyer for his brother. Thinking he'd get money the easy way, he put on a stocking mask and walked into the Victorian Commercial Bank and Trust on Christmas Eve with a shotgun, just before the bank closed early at noon. It was unfortunate for him that the security guard spotted him in time to call for help, and even more unfortunate that help came in the form of the Texas Ranger signed to the county. Judd Dunn. Clark fired the shotgun at the uniformed man and Nick the security guard, but not before he and Judd Dunn fired their sidearms. Neither shot missed. Clark went down. He didn't get back up.
Judd drove, Judd drove up in front of the ranch house just after dark. It had been all over the six o'clock news about the attempted robbery and its aftermath. There was extensive footage of Clark lying on the floor in the bank lobby covered with blood. Marty had watched it with Christina Bell, but her sister had called and asked her to come over for the night because she didn't want to be alone on Christmas Eve. Marty felt bad about leaving until the, under the circumstances, but her sister hadn't been well. Christy convinced her to go. Then she waited and hoped that Judd would come to her for comfort. Incredibly, he did. Christina Bell went out to the SUV and waited for him to cut off the engine and get out. He didn't, for a minute, stared at her through the dusty side window with eyes that hardly saw her. They were black, dead eyes. She opened the door and tugged at the long sleeve of his clean washer. I make coffee and fresh bread and macaroni and cheese casserole. There's apple pie for dessert. Come on. He cut off the engine and got out of the big vehicle like a sleepwalker. She noticed that his face was unusual pale. Impulsively, she licked her small hand into his large one and led him into the house, down the hall to the kitchen. It was unusual for him to allow her to touch him. She got drunk on the freedom. Felt right. That big lean hand so closely tangled in her fingers. Sit, she said gently. Now Jim into a chair as the, the small table, which was already set. You heard, he murmured, putting his hat in an empty chair. She nodded. She put nicely cooked vegetables and fresh rolls on the table and containers along with macaron casserole. She put a plate and a napkin and utensils at both places, poured coffee in two cups, handed him one and sat down. Say grace, Judd, she said softly. He did, but with a rasp in his voice. He didn't talk. She didn't expect him to. It was too fresh, too traumatic for words just yet. She knew that. By the time they got up to the pie, he was calmer and his big frame legs fragile. He smiled. You know how to handle me, don't you? He asked, glancing at her. I know you, she said simply. He drew in a long breath and finished his pie. He sipped a second cup of coffee, watching her across from him. No questions. Her eyes met his, and she saw the pain and torment on him. It would be cruel, she replied. He actually winced. He put down the coffee cup hard. His mouth made a thin line. He couldn't tell her. He wanted to talk, needed to talk, but that bristling masculinity that was as much a part of him as his white shirt and silver ranger badge made it almost impossible. He hated weakness. He couldn't admit to it. You're trained not to let things bother you, she began slowly meeting his eyes. You have to be strong so the other people can lean on you when there's an emergency. You can't break down or show emotion on the job because you have to do the job. That's why it's so hard when things like this happen. You don't want to admit that it hurts when you have to use that gun you wear or that you're torn up inside. She searched his eyes. No, no surprise there. But you're very human, Judd, and you were raised in the church, so that makes it worse for you. I'm not going to probe or pry or offer platitudes. Work it out however you need to, but if you want to talk, I'll always listen. His chest rose and fell in you and Grier, he said dully, staring into his income. He actually phoned me to say I could talk to him if I needed to. She studied him with hungry eyes that she veiled with her lashes. Cash has done a lot of trouble things over the years, she replied. He's killed people. He knows how it is. Start answers. Did he tell you about any of them? She shook her head. He's like you. He doesn't talk about the things that hurt most. But I think he could tell you. I think you could tell him. I know you don't like him. But he's been kind to me. Kind when I wasn't. He returned surprisingly, his eyes narrowed over his. He's the sort of man who makes other men feel uncomfortable. He's done everything, been everywhere. He's culture and rich and afraid of nothing on earth. She wanted to say. But he isn't you. She didn't dare. He was involved with a woman who made her feel inferior in every way. She wasn't leading her heart anymore. 
She got up and poured more coffee for both of them. Who's watching her? Noting the lines of strain in her face, the thinness of her young body, the conditions of her faded but clean jeans and shirt and old boots. He grimaced, thinking about the ring on Tippy's finger. He almost forgotten. The ring Christine Bell's present down wasn't from Victoria in the anguish of the day. He'd have to remember to tell her he had it so that she wouldn't think he'd deliberately not gotten her anything. She sat down again. I'm so tired, she murmured. I finished exams and I think I passed everything. But Nick and I have been making running repairs to fences and checking pregnant heifers all afternoon. This Japanese deal works out. Maybe we can hire one more full-time man so I can get some rest, she added fictitiously. But he didn't smile. You're too young to have to shoulder this much responsibility, he said. Her eyebrows arched. I'm half owner of this place, and I don't work any harder than you do. In fact, I work less. I'm just a student. You have a demanding job. His face on. Too demanding right now, he said through seat. How's the security guard, she asked to divert him. He's out of danger, he told her. They're still picking double uh, birdshot out of him, but he'll make a good recovery. He may lose some use of his arm, though. Hell of a thing. He spotted the guy and called for backup, hoping we could take him without bloodshed. I was out of an on an investigation not a half a block from the bank. Ran all the way and got to the front door just as Clark was threatening a woman with a shotgun. The guard saw me slip into the front door with my sidearm out, and he went for his. Clark whirled. The guard and I fired simultaneously, but too late to avoid return fire. The guard was hit. He looked absolutely haunted. Clark went down like a sack of sand. He frowned him. People look so helpless when they die, Christina Bell. He said on his like, big dolls. They lay there with everybody looking at them, evading their privacy, staring at them. They can't do anything to protect themselves from all those gaping eyes. <laughs> he tried to kill someone, she reminded him. Can't you think about what might have happened if you hadn't shown up in time? John Clark, like his brother, if John, if John Clark is like his brother, he might not have hesitated to shoot to kill. That's what I was afraid he was going to do, he confessed. The woman told us that she antagonized him by speaking up when he held a gun on her. He told her, in fact, that he might as well be hung for a sheep as a lamb. He wondered if he meant that he killed already. <laughs> she nodded. Maybe he killed poor old Hob Downey. Isn't that what you think? Yes, he toyed with his coffee cup. The news media jumped on his situation at once. Poor guy, his brother in jail, no money, no job. And the big bad cops shot him when he was only trying to get some money. She smiled sadly. We live in bad times, Judge, she said quietly. The whole world's upside down sometimes. I phoned an attorney, the one the department uses, and had him tell me what to do next. Funny, I've been in the Rangers all this time, and I've never been involved in a fatal shooting. You were lucky, he laughed. I guess it was. They don't know who fired the fatal, fatal shot, he added unexpectedly. One of us hit low, the other hit high. We'll take a ballistics test to determine who fired which shot, but the guard and I both carry forty-five caliber weapons. It's Christmas Eve, so the lab is closed. It will be Monday before they can do the examination. Clark's autopsy will have to wait until then, too. I guess meanwhile, I have to live with it. You don't aim to kill, she reminded I aimed at his hip to take him down the quickest way, he said to her. But there was a river of blood from that area, bright red, arterial blood. He ran a hand through a stick black hair. That was my shot. It went inside and hit the femoral artery. <laughs> she wanted to say something comforting, but he was lost in the hell of his own thoughts. The other shot was through the heart, he murmured. Which one... Whichever one was mine doesn't matter so much, I guess. He would have died anyway. There'll be a hearing. I gave them a statement, and now I'm on administrative leave. 
with too much time to brood on it, she said solemnly. You'll need to keep busy. Tomorrow we can dig postals and put up a fence, as I resort, on Christmas Day. If you'd rather watch endless reruns of that old and black and white Christmas movie they keep showing around the clock, she began. His black eyes twinkled for the first time that day. We could always watch those satellite movies you like so much, he drawled. She flushed and grinned. You stop that. I have to get educated where I can find it. And I've already told you that those movies aren't like real life. She cleared her. More coffee? He let her draw. No, I've had enough. Do we still have any beer? About six bottles left over from Thanksgiving on the fridge. What, one? You know, I'm not a drinker, but I'm making an exception today. He gave her a long lean journey. I'll never have enough to put you in danger. You know that. She relaxed. She had more reason than most women to be afraid of men who drank, and he knew. She smiled subconsciously. Isn't it strange how our childhoods affect us years down the road? He toyed with the handle of his coffee cup. I remember how much I missed my mother when Dad wouldn't let her come back. He murmured. He loved my mother. She reminded him. He smiled. She was a character. He said, yes, I loved her. She had a hard life, but she was almost always smiling. He lifted eyes her face. Like you. She shrugged. doesn't cost any more to smile than it does to cry. She said with a grin. And it uses less muscle. She chuckled. thought about staying up in Victoria in the apartment overnight. I'm glad I didn't. She acknowledged the subtle comp compliments with a smile. Very wise, she teased. My apple pie is better than yours. She had a tongue in cheek. Nothing wrong with black crust and hard apples, she challenged. I'll get you that beer, she said, and went to the refrigerator. They watched television in the living room next to the tall, brightly lit Christmas tree until late. Avoiding the news, Judge sprawled on the sofa in his sock feet and black t-shirt and jeans, and he went through three beers before he stopped. The traumatic experience of the morning had shaken him badly. It was going to be impossible to live with taking a human life, and he knew it. What he didn't know was how he was going to cope with a conscience that was tormenting him. You're brooding again, Christina Bowles said from her comfortable armchair across from the sofa. This is a really good movie. You should be paying attention. He shifted his head on the pillow under it and stared at her openly. From her pert breast in the low-cut white sweater she was wearing to the subtle curve of her hips as she sat with her legs drawn up under her. Her blonde hair was long, draped over her shoulders and down her back. She looked sexy, very sexy. Usually he tried not to notice that, but he was just slightly tipsy and his control was slipping. That look was disturbing. He had a way of watching her lately that made her body tingle. He was doing it now. Her eyes went over his lean, fit body in the close-fitting jeans and black t-shirt that showed off the breadth of his chest and the muscles in his upper arms. He was devastatingly physical. He wasn't bad-looking either. With that lean face and broad forehead and straight nose, he had a sensuous mouth, very wide and masculine, and jotting chin that hinted at the stubbornness that was as much a part of him as the thick, straight black hair that dropped over his broad forehead when he leaned forward. The thick eyebrows over those deep-set black eyes, the high cheekbones up his tan face. Here's Darren. Here he is. So are you, she shot back. His eyes narrowed slowly. They ran over her body like crescent fingers, almost physically touching her. It was like a moment out of time, when the world very far away, just the two of them in the dimly lit living room with the television blaring unnoticed. Suppose I told you, he said intently, that a divorce doesn't cost much more than an annulment. 
She called pretty neat. She knew what he was saying. He needed oblivion, and she was in a perfect position to provide it. But he'd been keeping company with an international model who probably thought of sex as an appetizer. She didn't want to have to fall tippy in his bed. Not that it wasn't tempting. She never wanted anything or anyone the way she wanted her husband. Suppose I tell you, she replied, that Tippy Moore would be a hard act for even an experienced woman to follow, much less a novice. He looks surprised. You think I'm sleeping with her? She averted her gaze. She doesn't try to make any secret of the fact that she's experienced. He didn't speak at once. He seemed to be struggling with things. He didn't know how to put in words. Good God, he says, oh, you're probably not the only person around here who sees it that way either, are you? Shook her head. It's pretty common gossip. It's y'all time. And a few people know that we're married, too. I didn't think how it might look, that you might have to bear the brunt of it. <laughs> she moved one shoulder relentless and started stared slightly at the television set. I go around with cash, she said. I suppose we both give Jacobsville enough ammunition for gossip. He swore softly under his breath and his eyes lifted to the ceiling. Christina Bell was having to live down his behavior. It had never occurred to him that he was making her the object of gossip. But how could he not have known? He asked himself when Tippy made headlines whenever she went. I wouldn't have to ask if you were sleeping with Grier, he said. I know you too well. He actually sounded resentful. She felt herself bristle. She almost lashed out before she remembered what he'd already been through today. She didn't have the heart to make him more uncomfortable than he already was. She's wearing an engagement ring, Judd, she replied in a subdued tone. I know you plan to marry her. We've only married on paper anyway, and soon we won't be. I don't blame you for wanting somebody pretty and famous and sophisticated. I never was in the running that way, and I've always known it. He growled as he stared at her, shocked. Did she really have a self-image that low? And was it his fault that she did? He'd been so careful to keep a distance between them all these years to protect her from becoming intimately involved with him because she dated, she dated or been around other men. He's crowd as he stared at her, shocked. Did she really have a self-image that low, and was it his fault that she did? He'd been so careful to keep a distance between them all these years to protect her from becoming intimately involved with him before she dated or even been around other men. He hadn't wanted to take advantage of their odd relationship <laughs> to use her in a way that made any other man would have it, wouldn't have hesitated in his position to do. But she said Tippy was wearing an engagement ring. <laughs> What engagement ring, Christina Bell? He said slowly. Her wise brown eyes slid around to meet his black ones. That emerald and diamond ring you gave her? Why would a man give a woman a ring that expensive if he wasn't seriously involved with her? She asked matter of factly. He took a deep breath and settled back onto the pillows he wanted to say. Because I let my pride get in the way of a jewelry when she put it on her finger and refused to take it off. I couldn't bear to tell her I couldn't afford what she considered a babble. But he could admit that he'd been such an idiot. So now Christina Bell thought he was engaged to another woman and counting the days until he got rid of her. End of chapter 11.